Our passage this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of God for us today. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Brooks. I'll be bringing you the word this morning as we're going through here. John chapter 3. This is week 2 in a sermon series called Searching for Answers. It's inspired by a book I read a number of years ago uh, called Encounter, Encounters with Christ by Tim Keller. Uh, this is uh, inspired by, but it's not following along exactly each chapter that he, he talked about. The, the, the premise is everybody has questions, whether you are a follower of Christ or whether you don't believe in God. As a human being with a pulse, we tend to ask the same questions about the life we live and about the death we're going to die. Everybody has these questions. And Jesus, as he encounters different people throughout the Gospels, each one of them has an issue that is either spoken, like last week with Nathaniel. We, we saw that Nathaniel asked the question, can anything good come from Nazareth. Now his question, the basis of that question was, where do I find truth? Everybody's saying this is true, that's true, this isn't true. Who can I trust and why should I trust them? That was the issue that we looked at this week or last week. This week it's a, it's the encounter is with a, a religious leader, a person by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Let's take a look at this this encounter because in this case, unlike last week, there's no explicit question. Let's take a look. Before we get going, we have to know what is the question, but there isn't a question. Follow along. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, pay attention to what he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless you were from God, unless God was with him. And Jesus answered him. Stop. Jesus answered him. What's the question? It says Jesus answered, but what did he ask? 
There isn't a question. Now, what does that tell you about Jesus? Jesus knows what the issue is before he even brings the question. See, whatever questions you have about your own self, about God, about, about life, Christ knows the needs that you have, and he knows what you need. Here in this case, Nicodemus doesn't ask a question, but Jesus answers anyway. And what does he say? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is a question of acceptance. It's a question that wasn't asked, but Jesus gives him an answer anyway. The question is acceptance. How can I be accepted? In other words, am I good enough? How do I know that I'm good enough? What we're going to look at this morning on the issue of acceptance, it's you have one of three choices. There are only three choices here. The first choice is traditional religion. That's Nicodemus. The second choice is secular religion. Many of you are not religious people. Many of you are like Nicodemus. You grew up in the church. Just a quick show of hands. How many of you grew up in traditional religious homes where you went to church? How many of you didn't grow up going to church ever? Okay, so that's fewer fewer of us, but there are a few of us that didn't grow up in, in a traditional religion, but there was a secular religion. Now, you're thinking, wait a minute, those two things are juxtaposed against one another. How can you be secular and religious at the same time? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But there's a third way. Third way has nothing to do with religion, and that is the way of the cross. It's the gospel. Everyone is trying to vie for acceptance. Everyone. And I don't care if you view yourself religious or irreligious. Everyone is trying to do something to be accepted, either by God or by man. And we're going to look at a third way this morning. A third way this morning, the way of the cross, the gospel. So let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, before we get into the text. Father, we come to you this morning and we are asking that you would make the truth understandable. As Jesus talks to this man, Nicodemus, he doesn't get it. So Lord, help us to get it. We can't understand anything apart from the Spirit. So Spirit, we need you. We need you to communicate truth to us, to, to bring us to a place where we understand uh, the gospel and believe the gospel and are saved by your work, your work on the cross. Father, help me to preach and teach in such a way that Jesus is lifted up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first typical path that people take to gain acceptance is traditional religion. Let's take a look. There's a man of the Pharisees, of the Pharisees. That's significant. Here's what, here's what John, the author of this gospel, is telling us. This guy, Nicodemus, he is of the group, the, uh, the, um, the sect within Judaism called Pharisees. These are very, very conservative religious people. They believe that the Old Testament is literal. They believe in the supernatural. They believe that the law of Moses applied for them and should apply for everyone. They believe that the Jewish Messiah would someday come and deliver Israel. They were very, very religious. They loved God, or at least it seems. It seems. So he was a man of the Pharisees. Now, he's not just a man of the Pharisees. What else does it say? He is a ruler of the Jews. So that's part of his sect, but he's in the leadership. He's in the upper echelons of the religious hierarchy. He is a teacher of the law. It says in verse 2 that he comes to Jesus by night and says to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Notice when he comes, he says, we know. Who's, he, who's the we? The we, presumably here, is the group that he runs with. So what he's saying is that we can tell there's something different about you. 
He calls him rabbi, so he acknowledges him as a legitimate teacher of the law. And he knows there's something, but they can't put their finger on it. He can do all these things so they know, you know, God's got to be with you. But there's a lot of confusion. And there's some hostility that's growing towards Jesus. And so he comes to him at night. Why does he come at night? Possibly because he doesn't want to be seen by his peers, his fellow pharisaical rulers who are against Jesus because that he doesn't want to give them the impression that he's for Jesus. So he comes at night under the cover of darkness. Now, he's religious. He is a religious leader. Now, the premise, the basis of all religion here at the bottom, this is not from the text, this is my edition. Religion is basically what man does to gain access to God. So all of you that raised your hand, you're from a traditional religious background, whether or not that is a Christian background, mainline denomination, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Catholic, or whether it's non-Christian, Muslim or Judaism, or even Buddhism, Buddhism technically they don't have a God, or Hinduism where they have millions of God, all organized religions operate under the premise of here's what you do and here's what you shouldn't do. If you do the things you should do and you avoid the things you shouldn't do, you'll be accepted by whatever deity you worship. Make sense? That's the essence of organized religion. That's the essence of organized religion. So let's take a look at the problems with organized religion, including including what passes for Christianity but is not. Okay, what is the problems with traditional religion? First of all, what does it produce? It produces legalism. Now, legalism is a term that, that says, if you do these things, that's the basis of which you are accepted. In other words, if you can do these things, you can jump through these religious hoops, and you cannot step on these religious landmines, you'll get through life and God will accept you. In other words, the basis of your righteousness, the basis of your acceptance is all on you. Be good. That's legalism. Keep the law and you will be good. Hence, legalism. Now, what that leads to is, is toxic. It leads to, first of all, pride. First of all, pride. So if you grew up in a religious home, maybe you saw this in your church. Hopefully not, but maybe you see it here in this church. Wherever two or three are gathered, there's a legalist and someone's proud. Okay, so yeah, there's the Holy Spirit, right? But there's also legalism and there's pride. Pride is, I'm doing these things. I'm keeping the law. These people aren't. Therefore, I'm accepted and they aren't. Now, if the basis of your acceptance is based upon your performance, by definition, you think you are better than the people that don't keep the law, yes? Well, that's the, that's the quintessential definition of pride, you end up being like the Pharisee in Luke chapter eight, 18, who is praying in the temple, and this is literally his prayer. Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men. I thank you that I am not like this adulterer. I am not like this tax collector, but I tithe once a week all my resources, and I fast once a week. In other words, he's literally thanking God for how awesome he is. Now, you might not be that bold, but do you look at people in your culture and your community and think, wow, they're really bad. I'm glad I'm not that bad. Or you, there's this subtle hint of arrogance sometimes, oftentimes, with religious people, especially traditional. Now, what does that lead to? 
It leads to hypocrisy. You think you're better than others because you have the law and you keep the law, but do you though? Do you really keep the law? Do the religious actually keep the law? No, not so much. It turns out they're every bit as godless as the godly pe- uh, the people that don't know God. They have the law, but they don't really keep the law. So they make a big deal out of the things that you can observe, whether or not you go to church or whether or not you tithe or whether or not you do this and that. But the matters of the heart, jealousy, lust, they're just as awful on the inside as anybody else. But they're condemning, they're condemning those people who don't follow traditional religion. And then that leads to oppression. That leads to oppression. A number of years ago, I got to know a guy who used to come to the wrestling room at Iowa. He was a former Navy SEAL. He was getting his master's in business here at the University of Iowa. And we got to know one another. We'd go out for lunch every once in a while. And he told me flat out he has no interest in religion whatsoever. And then he told me why. He goes, I have been all over the world and I hunt down, capture or kill the worst human beings on the planet and they are all religious. Now, in his context, who's he fighting? The Taliban and Al-Qaeda. You can't get more religious than the Taliban or the Al-Qaeda. And legalistic pride, hypocrisy, and oppression. You say, yeah, but we're Christians. You have read church history, have you not? Legalistic pride, hypocrisy, and oppression. So, now some of you are secular. Some of you are secular. Your girlfriend drug you to church like my wife did in 1988. And you're thinking, yes, stick it to them. That's exactly why I'm not religious. All you people are legalistic, proud, hypocrites, and you oppress people. Fair enough. What does it get us, those of us who embrace traditional religion? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Let's take a look at what Jesus says. Back to the text. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying to Nicodemus. Okay, you're a ruler. You're religious. You've done this your whole life, and you lead other people in religion. Guess what? You can't even see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, wait, 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 wait. How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Either he does not understand that that's a metaphor... Or he does understand it's a metaphor, and he still doesn't get it. Either way, he doesn't get it. I'm going to go with he understands it's a metaphor. He's not a stupid man. He knows Jesus is not saying literally that he's got to go find his mom, crawl back up in a room, and be born again. That's not even physically possible. So he's rolling with the metaphor and saying, I still don't get it. You're telling me I need to be born again. How do I start over? Can't undo what's been done. I can't become someone I'm not. Jesus doubles down. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again of water, unless you're cleansed and of the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Here's the thing. You can't see the kingdom of God, and you certainly can't enter into the kingdom of God. Those are two things that the Pharisees thought they had a corner on the market on. They knew the kingdom of God, and they were the ones that are going to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, no, you're, you're excluded. You are not accepted. You're not accepted. Traditional religion. Not accepted. And the secularist is like, yes, stick it to those proud hypocrites who oppress people. And the secularists are different how? They are different. They are different in the sense, in the sense 
that they are not trying to do good in order to be accepted by God. But there is doing good. Secular religion, how does it work? Secular religion looks this way. Worship, worship, man is the measure of all things. In, in traditional religion, God is the measure of all things. So we obey, the traditional religious person obeys in order to be accepted by whom? By God, that's whom they worship. Or if you're Hindu, the gods, plural, the millions of different gods and different deities, right? So that's the basis of worship. With, with a secular person, man is the measure of all things. Now in this case, they're not concerned with earning the acceptance of God in order to enter his kingdom, but rather they're concerned with earning the acceptance of the society or the culture to build the kingdom of man. It's still religion. You say, well, how is it religion? Worship means the exaltation of that which is most valuable. Well, if you are religious, what is most valuable is God. If you don't believe in God, you still have to exalt something as most valuable. Now, what is most valuable to someone who doesn't know God? Well, I don't know. Pick your poison. Your own career. Your sexual exploits. Comfort. Nationalism. I don't know. Pick one. Whatever is most valuable, that becomes most important. And then you try to earn the acceptance of everyone in that community, in society. What's the problem with secular religion? Well, let's just break it down. What does it produce? I just copied and pasted from the last slide. It produces legalism, pride, hypocrisy, and oppression. There's no difference. You get the same. It's the same candy, just a different wrapper. Now, it's the same poison, different wrapper. You candy rots your teeth. Poison will kill you. This will kill you. This will kill you. How so? How so? Well, let's take a look. Let's take a look. Legalism. I was reading an article. I was reading an article from the uh, left-leaning magazine, The Atlantic. Why do I read that? Because I want to know our culture. I want to know how to engage people that don't believe what I believe. And Josh Habman, our executive pastor, showed me this article, and it's, it's called the New, uh, the New Puritans. The New Puritans. And it opens with, uh, with an excerpt from the book by Nathaniel Hawthorne called The Scarlet Letter. How many of you have heard of The Scarlet Letter? Okay, The Scarlet Letter is a novel written about... Um, the new, uh, the new world in England, or not England, the new world, New England, uh, in the Puritans, and very traditional religious culture. Now, there's a, there's a woman who commits adultery, and she gets pregnant, and she has a child out of wedlock, but she won't spill the beans on who the husband is. Now, in the, in the novel, you find out that the husband is actually the preacher. He's the preacher, whom everybody thinks is awesome, but she's not going to betray um, their secret, and so she brings this child into the world, and she, in this puritanical culture, she is shunned. You know what shunning is? She is pushed away, and she is shunned, and she is forced to wear a scarlet A on her person wherever she goes, so that everyone will know who she is to avoid that evil person who brought this unwed child into the world, Right? So this article in the Atlantic is not about the Puritans from 200 years ago. It's about the new Puritans, the secular Puritans. Not religious people, but irreligious people. Their own. Their own. There is legalism. 
there's sermons in this new Puritanism. There's law in this new Puritanism. Just, just watch CNN, watch the news. You hear a sermon every single time you turn on the news. This is what it means to be right. This is what it means to be good. Do these things and you will be accepted by the culture. Do them not and you will not. This is, this is the world we live in. It's secular religion. What does it lead to? Legalism. Pride. Have you ever noticed that the people that, that vie for tolerance are the least tolerant people on the planet? And, and then it's, it's like Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about the, 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 the Pharisee who prayed, thank God that I am not like other people. Charles Haddon Spurgeon had this to say to Christians. Be very, very careful if you find yourself thanking God you're not like the Pharisee because then you're just like the Pharisee. So the secular, the secular religious people, if you will, they are thanking not God but themselves that they are not as bad as the conservative religious people. And, and they think they're better than. We, it's a human thing. It's not a right-left thing. It's just we always think we're better than whatever group we're not in. And we look, ways to val- look for ways to validate our own righteousness. That leads to pride. It leads to hypocrisy because they're hypocrites. And it leads to oppression. It leads to oppression. Here in this article, a couple different examples. A couple different examples. The first is uh, Daniel Elder prize-winning composer and a political liberal, posted a statement on Instagram condemning arson in his hometown of Nashville when Black Lives Matter protesters set fire to the courthouse there after the killing of George Floyd. He discovered that immediately after his post on Instagram that you shouldn't set stuff on fire, his publisher refused to print his music and choirs would no longer sing his music. He wears a red letter, and he has been shunned by the community. That's not an isolated event. That is a total normal thing. Here's another person who said in this article to the author, one former journalist told, uh, told the author that his ex-colleagues, notice I said former journalists, he's, he's been shunned. He's out of the profession. They don't want to endorse the process of, I made a mistake, I'm sorry, and then... Uh, understanding and then granting forgiveness. They don't want to forgive. Instead, he said they want to punish and purify. Listen to that. He's not talking about religious, traditional religion. He's talking about secularism. Punish and purify. Purify, that's religious language. To purify means to get rid of the sinners. To get the sin out of the culture so we can be pure as a culture. Now, these people are not followers of God. Man is the measure of all things with secular humanism. But you understand that they're every bit as religious, and that leads to oppression. The last millennia that we just came out of, the last century, the 20th century, was the bloodiest century in the history of mankind. Hundreds of millions of people were systematically eliminated by their own governments, not war, by their own governments, under Mao, under Stalin, under Pol Pot, and under Hitler. And it was not in the name of God. It was in the absence of God. It's the same poison. It's just a different wrapper. What's it get you? Nothing. Nothing. It doesn't get you anything. It doesn't get us anything.
So, the third way, the way of the cross. Let me just pause right now. Are you good enough? Are you good enough? If you were to stand before God right now, and you will stand before God someday, either when Jesus returns or if he should tarry, our death, every single one of us will stand before God. Are you good enough? You say, well, I don't believe in God. You'll stand before him anyway, and then you will. You will be a believer in God. But the question is, are you good enough? What does Jesus say? No, you're not. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. No one's good enough. Jesus says, truly, I say, unless you're born again of water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, it blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? How can these things be? Jesus answered, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you still, you don't understand these things. Truly, I say to you, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness. We bear witness to what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I've told you of earthly things, if I've told you of earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus is not hearing because he doesn't have ears to hear. Do you? Or are you so steeped in your traditional religion that regardless of what you're hearing from the word of God, you are convinced that whatever is, is, is have, causing cognitive dissonance in your brain can't be true because it doesn't conform to what you've heard all, the, all these years growing up. Or maybe you're from a secular environment like I was. And you're thinking, well, because this is coming from the Bible, it can't be true. Well, you're stuck back last week when nothing good can come from Nazareth. Well, the Nazarene is the only one who is good. I told you of earthly things and you don't believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You won't hear it. Then Jesus explains it for him. He says, no one who ascended into heaven, except the one who descended, that is himself, from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, now that might not mean anything to you, but that little reference means a lot to Nicodemus. That's something he would have heard in Sunday school. Well, in his case, Sabbath school on Saturday. Growing up as a kid, this is the story of Moses in the wilderness. You know, Moses, he, he's the deliverer. He calls uh, God's people out of Egypt and takes them through the Red Sea, but they're stubborn. They won't go into the promised land, and so they're forced to wander through the wilderness for 40 years before they enter. During this wandering phase... They begin to moan, they begin to whine, they begin to rebel, they begin to complain. And so God allows a plague of snakes or serpents to enter into the camp. So these poisonous serpents are are biting people left and right, and they're dropping, they're dying. And so again, for the billionth time, they're like, oh, have mercy on us, Moses, intercede to God. We've sinned again for the billionth time. Would you please intercede for us? And so Moses goes before God and says, God, have mercy on these stiff-necked people. So God says, okay, here, Moses, here's what you do. 
you take your staff, and I want you to fashion a bronze snake, and I want you to wrap it around the pole. You've seen an ambulance, and they got this staff and the serpent. That's where they get this. And then go to the middle of the camp, stand up in a high place, and hold that up in the air so that everybody in the camp can see the serpent lifted up, and then those who are snake bit by the serpent will look at the serpent and they'll live. Look and live. Don't look and die. It's your choice. You get to choose. Whether you believe in this crazy healing method of just simply looking and living, or, well, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. You can choose. And those who look, live. What does this have to do with being born again? I venture to guess that Nicodemus still has no idea. The very next verse is John 3.16. So the next thing Jesus says is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Again, what is up with the serpent and the snake? Nicodemus, we don't hear from Nicodemus until chapter 7 in John. And it's only briefly. When the Pharisees are trying to condemn Jesus and Nicodemus says, are we going to condemn a man without hearing him? And they jump on him immediately and say, oh, are you one of his followers? And Nicodemus is like, just saying. And you don't hear from him again until, until the end of the Gospels when Jesus is dead and he's taken off of the cross. But where do you find Nicodemus? You find him right there at the foot of the cross with Joseph of Arimathea. And they take his body down and they prepare his body for burial in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. No longer is Nicodemus afraid to be seen in the presence of Jesus. What happened? He saw the Son of Man lifted up just as a serpent. And it clicked. I'm snake bit. And he's taken my venom into his own veins. He's been lifted up. The Son of Man is being lifted up so that all who look and live, not do, not do and perform and be accepted. There's a time for obedience, but obedience is not the means by which you and I become right with God. You see, here's what religion says. Religion says you do or you die. The gospel says you look and you live. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see it unless you are born again. Some of you are like, I don't like that term. It doesn't matter what you like. This is the Son of God who gave himself for you, and he's saying, I love you. This is why I came. I came that I might bear your sin. I came that I might give you my righteousness. I came that I might give you my spirit. I, might, I came that I might wash you of your sins and make you a new creation from the inside out. You will either come to me and live and look or you will cry, keep trying to do things on your own to please my Father whom you must be perfect if you're going to please him by works or you don't believe in God, you're going to do all these things so you can gain acceptance from man who, by the way, will change the rules in the next five minutes and you still won't please man. 
There's only three paths. There's traditional religion, which gets you death. There's secular religion, who gets you death. And then there's the way of the cross, which is death. But not your death. It's his death for you. It's his merit for you. That's the gospel. Are you good enough? No. In Christ? Yes. Are you in Christ? I don't know the answer to that question. I can't see inside your hearts. I don't know what you believe. You see, some of you are like, well, I was raised in church. And, and Nicodemus wasn't? That is completely irrelevant. Some of you are the other way. You're like, yeah, but Brooks, you don't know my past. I've done things. And I haven't? And Paul didn't kill Christians before the resurrected Christ approached him on the road to Damascus? See, that's the beauty. That's the absolute beauty of the gospel. You know, I hear people that are not Christians complain about, you Christians, you're so exclusive. Jesus is the only way. It's so exclusive. I'm sorry if I just mocked you if you hold that view, but it's... You, you get it, right, though? I mean, that's a common objection. It's exclusive. It should be more inclusive. Oh, and the secular religion isn't exclusive? It's, they, they're the same. Here's the difference between Christianity, the way of the cross, and traditional religion and secular religion. In order to come to the table... In traditional religion, you gotta, you gotta be a person you're not. You gotta do things you can't do. In order to come to the table and be accepted by the culture, you've gotta abandon beliefs that you can't abandon. Right? Everyone is exclusive. There are rules for coming to anyone's table. But here's the beauty of coming to the table with Jesus. The only prerequisite that Jesus has to sit at his table is that you're hungry. That's it. So as the ushers come forward to distribute the elements for communion, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, eating this bread and this juice to commemorate what Jesus did so that we might come to the table. Not what we did, but what he did. So if you have not yet received uh, the, the elements, which is the bread and the juice, please raise your hand. The ushers will come around and get that for you. Now, who takes the bread and the wine? Who, who comes to the table? Who comes to the table? Those who are born again. If you are not born again, you may be. Today will be your birth. When you come into the, into the kingdom of God, kicking and screaming, bloody, not knowing your right hand from your left, but only knowing that you need the grace of God. That's what it means to receive Christ. That's what it means to believe. It means to just simply cry out to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Give me your spirit. Cause me to be born again. I want to be renewed from the inside out. You can't do this yourself. It's not a reform project. It's a spiritual birth. So as we take this, 
before we take this, I want to encourage you. If you are, if you are, uh, you're not sure. You're not sure. There's a card in front of you. It's called I Believe. This is a new card. It'll be in the front pocket every single time you come here. Let us know. Today, I trusted Christ as my Savior. Or there's a second option. I've got questions. You might be like Nicodemus. You're not quite ready, but some of you are ready. You're ready to come to the table. You're ready to celebrate what Christ has done for you. Let us know. Drop it in the in the the uh, the comment boxes as you leave, and we'll get in touch with you on how to take your next step. So, this is kind of an engineering feat. Peel the plastic off the top to get to the bread. Ish, it's kind of bread. It's edible, sort of. <laughs> and then you peel the. Uh, you peel the, uh, the plastic part off here for the juice without spilling it all over yourself. There you go. So, Luke chapter 22. On a night that Jesus was betrayed, he says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you that I will not eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, I take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread which he had given thanks, and he broke it, and he gave thanks, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And likewise the cup after he had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you as the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Take and drink. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your undeserved mercy. Thank you, Lord, that it is a matter of looking to you and living and not keeping the law so that we can justify ourselves, which is not possible. Thank you for the beauty of the gospel. Thank you that you so love the world that you gave your only son. And I pray for that person here or people, Lord, multiple people who um, maybe today is the first day that they cried out to you. I pray that they'd be bold enough to, to let us know by filling out that card and so they can learn how to take their next step in following you. And Father, for those of us who have who have uh, entered into that relationship with you, who have been born again, maybe last week or months ago or years ago. Lord, help us to live for you because you died for us. Father, help us to, to exude humility and the fruit of the Spirit and not to be legalistic and proud and hypocrites, but to, to radiate your beauty for a world that desperately needs to see something beautiful. Lord, we pray that the gospel would seize our hearts and that you would do live your life through us for your glory in Jesus name